I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you, Brother Mike. Thank you, choir and orchestra and team. That's an awesome song. Just this week, 13 people were gunned down while at work in Washington, D.C. at the Naval Yard. Just yesterday, 22 people were killed in a mall in Kenya, Africa, in Nairobi. As men came in and just opened up gunfire and many, many dozens were wounded. This morning, this very morning, in Pakistan, two suicide bombers killed 72 Protestants. Um, and injured another 120. As the church dismissed, they were walking out into the foyer and and the choir somehow was in front and had lots of children with them and as they were exiting the building, two suicide bombers took their lives. All of these hurt deeply, but this one hurts especially deeply. In Africa, in Pakistan, And I believe it's not long till it's coming to our land. So why so much evil, Brother Danny? Why so much pain and, and suffering and so much hurt? Ever since Genesis chapter 3, our world has been radically changed and transformed. God did not create evil. God is not the cause of evil. God created an evil-free, pain-free, hardship-free, tornado-free world. But in Genesis chapter 3, something happened. It's called the fall of man. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, things radically changed. As Wayne Grudem, the systematic theologian whose textbook we're reading and studying, he said God, uh, God did not cause it, but God ordained it and God allowed it. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, our world has been radically, radically changed. Today, I'm going to share with you a message entitled, Why Does God Allow Pain and Suffering? Our primary text is Psalm chapter 44. And if you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn with me to Psalm 44. And we will look at a number of passages, but this is our primary focal point, our primary text. I want to go ahead and say at the very beginning, inception of this message, that I do not have all the answers. I absolutely do not. If anybody tells you that they do, they're, they're not being honest with you. There are some things that we just do not know. We, we don't have all the answers. I love Billy Graham's response to Larry King. A few years ago on Larry King Live, he, on CNN, he asked him this question. He said, why? And by the way, this question is always asked. If any theologian is on television, they have, okay, okay, I get you. I get, but let me, let me ask you this question. It's always this question. Why, he asked Billy Graham, would God, if he's good and if he's all-powerful, why would he allow a drunken man to run over an eight-year-old girl on her bicycle and kill this innocent girl? Why would God allow that? And Billy Graham says, Larry, I don't know. <laughs> the greatest men of God of our century said, I do, I do not ultimately know. Another systematic theologian, Millard Erickson, writes about the problem of evil. He says, and I quote, it is a severe problem, perhaps the most severe 
of all the intellectual problems facing theism, end of quote, is the problem of pain, the problem of suffering, the problem of tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes, the problem of cancer and heart disease, the problem of a, of a baby, a child taken away from its parents. Why would God allow? It's amazing to me how atheists all of a sudden become theists. They don't believe in God until something radically happens wrong. Then, then all of a sudden they blame God, and they blame this, this God. They don't blame any other God but the God of the Bible. That, that should hint us or give us a, cue, a clue about this. I want to share with you just some personal things about my own journey about pain. I'm going to share with you some things about C.S. Lewis and some of his writings. And then I'm going to go to Psalm 44, and we're going to walk through some of this passage of Scripture. And then we hope, my goal is, when you leave Great Hills Baptist Church today and people ask you about the problem of pain and suffering, you can be honest with them up front and say, ultimately, I want you to know something. I don't know the ultimate answer. I don't have the silver bullet answer that's going to answer all of your issues. But I do want you to consider the following theological facts or issues. Is that fair enough? I come to you humbly today. We don't have all the answers, but there are some things that God gives us clues about that will help us in our journey, in our intellect, and in our hearts. I first preached this sermon in 1998. I was preaching a series of messages at Liberty Baptist Church entitled Tough Topics. We talked about election and predestination. We talked about theodicy. And by the way, theodicy is the fancy theological term that means why would God allow bad things to happen? If God is all-powerful, is it that He just does not care? Or is God weak and He cannot do anything about it? Okay? So I preached a, I preached a series of messages, and one of the sermons was 1998. I got it back out this week, and I read over it. And it was 15 years ago, and I thought, wow, that happened to me before a lot of bad things have happened to me. I can trace my beginning of my battle with depression right about that time, something I battle to this day. Right before my mom got Alzheimer's disease, and to this day, she has no idea who we are. It's before one of my best friends, Ashley's dad, died of cancer at age 61, really in the prime of his life. So I, I preached this sermon to you at Great Hills Baptist Church in 2013 from a very different perspective than I did in 1998 when I had a whole lot of theology, had a whole lot of answers, and a whole lot of, you know, here, here, let me just, let me just help you, and, and then you'll be okay. Now God's allowed me to walk through these events, and it's changed me. Pain and suffering it changes you, and it can do one of two things, and I'm watching this happen in my family. It can make you bitter, and it's made some of my family so bitter. And then it can make you better. You can walk through pain and suffering, and you can come out on the other end saying, God, I really don't know, but I sure do love you. I can't understand you, but I still trust you. C.S. Lewis, in 1941 wrote a book entitled The Problem of Pain. And he was, 
Um, and it's, it's powerful, and I encourage you to read it. It has all the, the theological issues, and he addresses them so beautifully and so eloquently as he talks about the fall of man, as he talks about how a pain is a part of our lives. And, and man, it is, it is eloquent in 1941. But 21 years later, in the early 60s, he wrote another book entitled A Grief Observed, and it's, and it's totally different. He said, well, what happened? His wife at age 45 died of a horrendous disease called bone cancer. And in this book, C.S. Lewis, the great apologist, the great theologian, the great author of the Chronicles of Narnia, he began to question God. And he began to question the existence of God And he certainly began to question the goodness of God. He wrote these words, Yeah, go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence, nothing else. That's what you get. He's angry. He's hurt. Many people are concerned about C.S. Lewis. Will he come out of this? And Joy Davidon, his wife, at 45 years of age, she dies of bone cancer, and it literally turns his world upside down. And all those theological, rational, intellectual, academic answers, he said, they're not really helping me right now. I need you, God. Where are you? And, and, and I want you to know, he does come through this. He came through it, and he was stronger for it. But this is what he said. He said, God was not trying to find out the the real quality of my faith. God already knew it. It was I who did not know it. He said, I came through that with an even greater appreciation for the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, you know, I wanted so badly to take her bone cancer. I mean, literally, take it from her, pull it to myself, and she could live the rest of her life. He was older than she was, and he's like, I've lived more years than you. I'd be glad to take this, and you go on. And he said, and that never, that, that did not happen. He said, that never happens except for one event. And that was at the cross of Christ. He said, Jesus responds to our babble. No, you cannot and you dare not. I could and I dared, says the Lord. I think about Ted Turner, the multi-billionaire. One time owned almost all of Atlanta, Georgia. CNN, the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Braves. Did y'all know that Ted Turner, the, the brash atheist today, was raised in church and came within an eyelash of being a missionary? But he said, in my mind, I, I could not reconcile a good God and all the pain and all the raw suffering, so therefore, I left my faith never to return to it. So let me, let me ask you guys, 
if, if somebody comes up to you today and they say, well, that's why I'm not a Christian, and that's why I have nothing to do with theism, nothing to do with any religion, is because there's so much pain, there's so much heartache, there's so much suffering, what would you say? Let, let me encourage you what not to say. Don't tell them, oh, get over it, just pray about it, everything will be okay. Please, Kyle, is that right? Don't, we, don't, we don't sell them that, okay? Don't, don't say that. If you do say that, go ahead and duck, because they might hit you justifiably so. Don't, don't tell them that, okay? Number two, don't tell them this. Well, it's just Deuteronomy 29, 29. You just, it's the secret things of the Lord. We don't understand it. Just don't worry about it, okay? There's a lot of truth in that. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And, and, and yes, that is true, but don't, don't just flippantly put that on them. Rather, I would encourage you to say this. That is an incredibly excellent question. I personally struggle with it. I personally don't have all the answers with it, but God has helped me, and I want to share with you these few things, and I hope that it helps and it encourages you. And I would go to Psalm 44, and that's where we're going to go here today. If you have Psalm opened up, I'm going to read it to you in just a moment, and, it, and I just love it. It's so honest. It is so powerful. I mean, and when you read this book, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but God does not exempt any of his people from suffering. Have you noticed that? Especially those that he uses in a powerful way, okay? He allows them to go through maybe even more suffering. I think of Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a, a dungeon of a pit, and then he was whisked away to Egypt. He was falsely accused. He suffered horribly in prison. And that was Joseph, okay? Joseph. I think of Job. I mean, how, how many of us have not thought of Job when we're thinking about pain and suffering? Job, I mean, Job did everything right and got in trouble. I mean, he made all the right decisions. He, he loved his family. He loved his God. He was generous. He was gracious. And I'm telling you, he lost everything, everything. And Job, in the, in the midst of that, in the crucible of it, he said, God, though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. I think of Job. Ultimately, I think of Jesus. Now, you're talking about somebody who never did anything wrong. I mean, he was pure, lovely, kind, generous, Helping people, healing people, feeding people, caring for people, sharing with people, doing everything right. And yet he was horribly crucified on a cross. Make sense of that. You can't make sense of it. Ultimately, you cannot understand it and fathom it. But here's the deal. Our God, instead of saying good luck, he comes down and enters into our pain and suffering. The reason I like Psalm 44 and the reason I chose it and I preach it way differently than I did 15 years ago, is it's so honest. In, in verses 1 through 8, it's just all the praise and glory to God, and, and, and he's, he's so, so, so thrilled with what's going on. And, and guys, let's just go ahead and open up to Psalm. I want, I want to begin re reading this. Psalm 44, he says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds that you did in days of old. And in verse 7 it says, but you have saved us from our enemies and you have put to shame those who have hated us. And verse 8 says, in God we boast all day long and we praise your name forever. You say, well, I don't see any problems there, brother. Dang, that's awesome. I mean, he is worshiping and he is thrilled. But verse 9, 
Life always has a verse 9, by the way. And no matter how good things are going, it doesn't matter how full the bank account is or how healthy the children are or they're walking with God. I mean, verse 9 will come to all of us if it came to Joseph, came to Job, it came to Jesus, comes to me. It'll come to you. Pain, suffering, heartache, difficulty, cancer, diabetes, disease after disease and illness after illness. It will come. There's always going to be, but here it comes. But listen to the, just the guttural honesty of the psalmist as he cries out to God. And by the way, I hope y'all are okay today in your theology. So if you're not, this will shake you up. Because he's going to get really angry at God. And here's something that I've noticed about God. He can handle that. Some of you are here today, and I, I'm so glad you're here, by the way. Many of you are guests, and many in our city are coming. You have questions. You're looking for answers and I just want you to know, I'm, I am thrilled that you're here, and I'm honored that you would come. And I hope today, if you came and you were looking for a guy to stand up there and just give you all the answers and everything is great. No, this guy here today is just being really honest and saying, I hurt, I struggle with the same thing you're struggling with. But you have cast us off, God. You've put us to shame. You don't, you don't even go out with our armies anymore. You make us turn back from the enemy. And those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. And that's verses 9 and 10. Let me keep reading this. Come on down to verse 17. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Now, now here he's just saying, God, what is the deal? Now, I know we've deserved punishment in the past, but the, one of the sons of Korah is writing saying, but God, best I can check, we really didn't. We've been keeping your commandments. We've been doing what you've asked of us to do, and, and yet all of these things have come upon us. Our heart has not turned back, verse 18, nor have our steps departed from your way, but you have severely broken us, and you've put us in the place of jackals. Let me stop right there for a minute, because of all these verses that I read, you're going to be able to understand all of it, maybe except this one. Let, let me talk to you about this Hebrew word, tenon. The word jackal, do y'all know what a jackal is? It, it's an onomatopoeia. It sounds bad, it is bad. These are some mangy creatures. Let me tell you, a jackal. It's smaller than a dog. It runs in packs. It's cowardly and nocturnal. And the psalmist says, God, you've made us like the jackals. It's only used 28 times in all the Hebrew Bible, and sometimes it's translated dinosaur. It's translated serpent, dragon, sea monster. Every single time it has a negative connotation. And, right, and, and, and meaningfully so, the psalmist is going, God, you have, not, you have not shined upon us. You have not delivered us. In fact, you, God, have made us like jackals, broken us, covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or if we stretched out our hands to a foreign God... Would not God have searched this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. But we didn't do that. 
And yet for your sake, and Paul quotes this in Romans, remember this, but for your sake we are killed all day long. I, 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 I tell you, the more we live, by the way, Pakistan only has 3% Christians, and they are about to be eradicated from the country. There is a, a religion, there is a group of people that will not stop. They are not going to stop in Africa. They are not going to stop in Pakistan. They will not stop in the United States of America. You cannot reason with this religion. It is a religion of war. It is a religion of hate. And all you can do is pray and say, God, have mercy on their soul because it, that, that you cannot dialogue with this. You cannot reason with this. Okay? And for your sake, God, these people will kill us until you come again. And they're going to kill a lot of us, I believe, until Jesus comes again. There's no stopping this. And I say this to America. You, 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 better, you better meet Jesus fast. Because secularism and atheism and agnosticism and intellectualism, it's, it's not going to help you with this. You're going to need God. You're going to need Him quickly. And you better cast yourself upon Him soon because I'm serious, guys. There's coming a day and it's probably going to happen in our lifetime, it's going, to be, it's going to be incredibly tense and dark. And we, God, are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now watch this. This is the part that, this is the part that gets me the most. The psalmist tells God, wake up! Wake up, God, where are you? Now some of you today are seekers, and some of you are agnostics and atheists, and you're going, that's in your Bible? I mean, your people call out to God like that, and they shout at him, they get mad at him. He does. He says, why don't you sleep, Lord? Arise. Do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face, God? Have y'all ever felt that way? No, really, have you ever said, Lord, I've been married to her for 50 years, and she's, she's emaciated, wasting away in cancer. God, what, what's going on? Have you ever done that? Well, you're in good company. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for your help and redeem us, O God, for your mercy's sake. And the, and the chapter is over. It's over. There is no chapter 44, verse 27, and God comes through and makes everything good. Listen. God will come through. God will make everything good. You, you just may not get to see it. You know, we preached Lori's Dice, her funeral, just a few weeks ago. And so many of us, especially nobody more than Lori believed, that God's going to heal her and God's going to change this. He's going he's to make this thing right. And he did. He did. I'm convinced that he did. He just didn't do it on this side. He did it on the other side of eternity. So chapter 44 is hard. Chapter 44 is real to life. But then there's chapter 45. Praise God for 45. In 45, look, look at some of these verses. Same guy, sons of Korah. In verse 6 it says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. 
And we go down just a little bit more. Look at verse 17. It says, I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and forever. I like the way one writer describes our text today. This is what he says, and I quote, The nation asked God for help. Rouse yourself. For she saw no reason why he should ignore her misery. Moreover, the nation felt that God must rescue her, rise up and help us, because she was at her lowest, yes, brought to the dust, about to die. Though the nation was seemingly rejected by God and had apparently lost a battle, even though she had been faithful, she wholeheartedly trusted in the Lord to redeem. This is the proper age-old response to the genuine believer who is suffering Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I've already shared with you, and I hope you've heard my heart on this before I give you my points of the sermon. I've never taken this much time in an introduction to a sermon. This is going to be one of the shorter sermons I preach, by the way. But before I give you these three points and and so forth, I, I do want you to hear my heart that I struggle with this just like you, and and I don't have all the answers just like you, but these are some truths I think I can share with you that will help you that greatly help me. Number one, when sin entered the world, everything changed. Number one, if you're filling in the blanks, there it is. When sin, S-I-N, entered the world, everything changed. Genesis chapter 3 tells us about a world that God had created, a beautiful world, a world with no sin, no pain. No disease, no decay, no tsunamis, no hurricanes. It was a beautiful, it was a paradise. It was a garden of Eden. And yet our forefathers, Adam and Eve, they took of that fruit and God expressly told them, do not eat of that. And they ate and sin entered the world and everything changed from earthquakes to cancer. I'm telling you, everything changed. You cannot say God created evil. That is theologically incorrect. God may have ordained it, God may have allowed it, but God did not create it, we did, okay? Now, you you need to grasp that. If you don't grasp this, then you'll go the way of Ted Turner, and you'll go the way of many in our city. If you don't get past that, God did not do this. God is not responsible for this. We are. We have a free will. And, and, And there's a thing called the fall of man and sin, and when sin enters the world, I'm telling you, everything changes and it will continue to change until God comes and redeems and God comes again. Okay? I hope I hope this helps you. Number 2. Some things in life we only learn as a result of pain. Some things in life we learn only as a result of pain. Now I know the response to this. Yeah, but but my 9-month-old died. It, he, 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 he can't learn anything, sir. My nine-month-old died. I know, I, I, I know I'm sorry. I don't understand it. We were sitting in our Explore God discussion group last Sunday. And it was so fun. I'm there with my neighbors. And, and it's, it's just pretty cool, especially this one guy. This atheist. He said, man, I'm an atheist. And, man, we just loved on him. And we learned from him. He learned from us. It was, it was really cool talking to him. And one lady, she said, my one-year-old granddaughter 
she died. And man, she said, it, it wrecked our world. And my daughter, I watched my daughter respond to this with such grace and with such, such an amazing faith. And, and then she says, she just spoke up. She's my next door neighbor. She spoke up. She said, I, I, I know I could not have made it without the Lord Jesus in my life and without the community of faith, without the people of God. So what do you learn? What do you learn? And by the way, you can learn or you can leave. No, I'm serious. You can learn from this. You can say, God, I'm done. I'm leaving you. And you can get better over it or you can get bitter from it. And really, you got a choice. And my wife's a great theologian, and she always boils things down. She goes, what's the alternative? What is the alternative? Are you going to quit? Who does she say that to? Me. (laughs) Yeah. You're just going to quit? You're going to do something else with your life? What's the alternative? God is all we have, and God is enough. That's great theology, by the way. That is excellent theology. So Nick Nick Ripkin talks about this in his book, The Insanity of God. Have I told you all about that book? Said anything recently about that book? I think we're very close to getting them at Great Hills Baptist Church in the spring. I mean, we're really, really close. Thanks to Mike Miracle. And, you know, things just don't happen, do they? It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And I appreciate you staying with that, Mike. He was in China, Nick was. And, and by the way, this is not his name. He would never give you his real name. This guy's deeply hated. <laughs> There's a lot of people who like to kill this guy. But we're not those people. We're glad that he'll be here in our church. Him and his wife, Ruth, and by the way, that is not her name. Did I tell you that there is, a, there is an evil operative in the world today that hates you, that hates everything you stand for, hates, hates. Listen, I think I've been to that mall in Nairobi, Kenya. If it's the same place, I've been in that mall. I've eaten in that restaurant. And they came in there and they said, listen, if you, are you not of the faith? They said, well, no, they killed them. Killed them. Right there. Speak Arabic. I can't speak Arabic. They killed them. There is an evil, my dear friend. And you better, if you don't know Christ, I would encourage you to get to know Christ real quickly because you're going to need him. You are going to need him. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It may take my life one day. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I don't like to talk about this among my family sitting over there. This, this, prob- this probably will cost me. And I'm nervous, guys. I mean, I'm up here wringing my hands. I don't want to die. I want to be old, and I want to have grandchildren too. I want to tell you something. There's some things worth dying for, and that is Christ. And Christ crucified and risen. He's worth living for. He's worth dying for. So Nick, he said, I'm in China, and I'm with 170 believers, Chinese believers, and they are, it's amazing. He said, we're, we're off in the woods hiding from the secret police, and this is not just decades and decades ago. Listen, if you're a Christian in China today, it costs you dearly. 1949, there were only 700,000 Christians in China. After after much persecution and continued persecution, there's only 100 million Christians in China. It's amazing what God is doing. So anyhow, 170, and they're gathered, and they're cloistered together, and Nick is teaching them. And, and, and this young, young lady, a leader in the church, she rose, raised her hand. She said, Nick, she, let me ask you a question. 
we really don't know in much except outside of China. Do other Christians suffer for their faith? And Nick said, well, yes, they do. And they had just been clapping, they had just been praising, and they had just had a wonderful time of worship, and now they were in this question-answer time. A young lady raised her hand, do other Christians suffer? And he said, oh, they suffer violently. And he mentioned two Islamic strong countries. 99 point something percent are Muslims, and, 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 and Christians are butchered, and Christians are hated. And he mentioned those two names of those countries. And he said, guys, I'm, I'm exhausted. i got to go to bed. I'll teach you all again in the morning. So he went to bed. He woke up. He thought, oh, heaven, they found us. He had never heard such screaming and hollering and, and, and franicking. And, and he was like, oh, no. And he got up. He was, he was waiting for the security police to come get him, extradite him, kick him out of the country and persecute and punish them. He was nervous. I mean, he didn't know what to do. And so he walked out into the courtyard and he looked. He didn't see any guns. He didn't see any secret police. He saw all these, saw these Chinese Christians. And they were pulling their hair. They were tearing up their clothes in a demonstrative act. And all, he didn't speak Chinese, but all he could hear were those names of those two countries. They were crying out to God, oh God. Our brothers and our sisters are in the world. They're experiencing the same thing we are. And we pledge, God, from the rest of our lives, we're going to get up one hour early and spend an hour in prayer and wailing out to you, oh God, to have mercy on. And, and they kept listening, those two countries, those two countries. And Nick Rifkin said, I was, I was blown away. Listen, you can't wail and you can't cry and you can't pray like they did, unless you've experienced what they've experienced. I'm serious. There are some things you just don't get until you walk down the hall of pain and suffering. Lord Jesus, please help me. I'm supposed to read y'all this. I'm going to read it. God allows us to go through painful events in order to deepen us in our faith. Be more conformed to Christ so we can truly empathize and minister to those who are suffering in a similar way. Helen Keller was blind, mute, deaf. She once communicated, we could never learn to be brave and patient if there were only joy in the world. Joni Erickson Tata, 17 years of age, dove in the water severed her spinal cord. She was quadriplegic. She is to this day. And she writes these words. When life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about Jesus. But only in the fellowship of suffering will we really know Jesus. <laughs> we identify with him at the point of his deepest humiliation. The cross, the symbol of his greatest suffering, becomes our personal touch point with the Lord of the universe. End of quote. Romans 8, 28. Everybody knows Romans 8, 28, don't we? Does anybody know Romans 8, 29? Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. By the way, that is an awesome verse. That is a true verse. If you learn and don't leave, if you're better and not bitter and you stay with it. And by the way, listen to this. 
Some people say, why me? Why, why, why? Me. Why has this happened to me? And I heard somebody say this, we ought to ask, why not me? And then I heard another question this week, and, and I like this one even better, what now? What now? What do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to learn from this? Because all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, those whom He foreknew, watch this, verse 29, He predestined us to be conformed. Let's stay right there for just a minute, okay? Because we read verse 29. I don't think we understand verse 29. God called us to identify with His Son who suffered and died. Part of being a Christian is you get to suffer a little extra. He said, Brother Dan, please don't preach like that. I mean, people don't want to hear that. People don't want that kind of Christianity. They want a feel-good religion to help them get through life. That's not real biblical Christianity. This is the real deal. He works all these things good for us, and He conforms us to the image of His Son. Now, keep, keep going, verse 29. That He might be, Jesus will be the firstborn among many brethren. God had only one Son, and He, he was crucified, and He was a missionary, okay? And that same God takes us who who love Him and follow Him, and He conforms us and He shapes us in the crucible of suffering so that, so, that we would, so that we can identify with others who suffer and we can point them to a God who loves them. It's, it blows my mind. I'm preaching far more than what I know today. The last thing I'll share with you, and I thank you for your patience, uh, God knows about suffering. As the innocent Son of God, suffered horribly on the cross and died. Let's leave up there for just a minute so people can jot that down if they want to jot it down. God knows about suffering as the innocent Son of God suffered horribly. I want you to put that in your outline, okay? I don't want, I don't want you to miss this. He suffered horribly on the cross and He died. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, and I love this, and and God and Jesus also suffered. Now, can y'all stay with me for just a minute? And I want y'all to catch, don't miss this. People are going to question you about your faith. They're going to say, how can a God, oh, blah, 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 I can't believe. And just say, my God also suffered. Christianity is the only religion that teaches this. That this great, eternal, awesome God took on human flesh and entered into our world, a world that we created with our sin, all the pain, all the suffering. We created it, not God's responsibility, and yet God still came and entered into it. That's amazing. That's ama that is grace. He suffered one time for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Put to death in the flesh, mercy, but made alive by the Spirit. Only Christianity offers this powerful inclusion in a world of suffering. In closing today, I, I want to say these words, um, and then we'll be done. One of the most attractive dimensions of Christianity is when we don't leave, but we stay, and we don't get bitter, but we get better. Did, let me just say this, y'all. I don't know if y'all knew this, but Lori died on a Sunday about three weeks ago on a Sunday, and two weeks after that, her husband, Ray, was back in his Bible life class teaching the class. Come on now, somebody help me. How do you do that? How do you, she's 47. 
She, she dies of cancer and, and suffers. And, and Ray, her husband, two weeks later is standing before his people saying, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand everything. But God, I still love you. God, you're still worthy. And he's teaching his word. We have a lady watching us right now on the internet. Pam, bless you, Pam Stripling. I saw on Facebook this morning, she goes, I can't go to my church today, but she said, I'm just feeling really bad, but man, I'm not going to miss it. I'm going to watch it on the internet. And I can name many ladies in our church right now, and I've watched them. Y'all don't know how much I'm watching you because I've never been where you've been. I've never suffered like you've suffered, so please don't stop. Please don't quit. Please don't give up because I need to see it. I need to see Jesus real in suffering. I've I've suffered some, but I have not suffered like you're suffering. Please don't quit. Please don't stop. Because if you stop, if you stop serving Christ, then it hurts. It hurts so many people. And I watch you, and I'm like, I'm so proud to know you. I'm so honored to watch you as you suffer and you, you stay with Christ. Some of you here today, and again, I, I don't know what you were looking for, what you were thinking about when you came. Maybe you came, you're very angry, and you're still angry. And you may be an atheist, you may be an agnostic, you, you may be steeped in your, in your whatever it is, and you may come today saying, well, I came to your church, and I was looking for that silver bullet, and you didn't provide it. Listen, if I did, would it change your mind? <laughs> it wouldn't. Because your problem really isn't the odyssey. Your problem is you're separated from God. And until you come on His terms, there's no coming. And you have to say, God, I don't know all the answers. But I know life without you is horrible. But life with you, at least there's hope. And that when I die... I'm in heaven. So I, I, hope, I hope this helps you. Some of you are here today and you're looking for a church home. And, and as I said last week, I'm, I tell you, Austin is one of the fastest growing cities in, in America. And people are moving in. I think somebody said 4,000 a month in Williamson County alone. I mean, there's, there are jobs here. I don't know if y'all know this, but there are a lot of hurting people in this world. And not everybody's blessed to live in the great state of Texas. I just want to get that out because this is a great state and this is a great city. Some people say, I'm not a Texan, but I got there as fast as I can. And I get that. I mean, they're they're moving. They're coming to America. And as they come, I'm so grateful for Great Hills Baptist Church because you're deep and wide. your, Your arms are open. The nursery's ready. Y'all with me? God cannot entrust babies to an unhealthy nursery. So this church is ready. And we're, we're receiving them. Man, come on now. A bunch of deacons met the other day. Usually when a pastor starts talking about a bunch of deacons, you're like, oh no, the deacons, they're mad. They're going to fire the pastor. No, they met. And a bunch of them just got together and said, okay, now we're ready. And, and like seven of them are they're ready to disciple new Christians. And they're ready. God save them, bring them to us, and one-on-one we will, we will lead them. Just, that's our church. This is the kind of church we have. 
If God leads you, I want you to come be a part of us. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for now an invitation where we can publicly stand and we can invite people, Lord, to come and be a part of Great Hills. Certainly not a perfect church with the most imperfect pastor, but God, a good church, good people, healthy. And I pray that you would add to our church family like you did last week, Lord, like this great family, the Killian family. God, send a bunch more like them, just awesome people who love you, God, and love us. So I pray also, Lord, for those that are here and they're struggling, God, in their heart of hearts, they are struggling with cancer, they're struggling with death, they're struggling with trying to find answers to earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. God, they're struggling and they're like psalmists in 44 and they're saying, God, help me, help us. Lord, thank you that you're big and you can handle that. And I just ask you, Lord, that as those people come, that we just love on them and, and say, hey, I'm with you. I'm also struggling. I also don't know the answers, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Lord, for those that are here today and they don't know you, they don't have that relationship with you, I just ask you, Lord, to draw them into a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you'd convict them of their sin and they would repent and they would believe in Christ and Christ alone. The only God who put on flesh. The only God that created the world come to redeem the world. So Lord, I give you this sermon. I give you my life afresh and new today. And I give you, Lord, our church and ask you, Lord, to move upon us in an awesome way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Terry, why don't you lead us as we stand to our feet. God bless you as you stand, as we have a time of invitation. I do invite you to come. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. And uh, let's go.